Hello and welcome to Voices in Innovation for GigaOM. I'm your host, Johnny Baldusberger, and today we have a special episode. It is being sponsored by Intel, and uh, you're going to listen to David Linthicum interview a leader in AI, uh, Rick Knosen from Intel. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. Uh, We're going to talk about COVID-19 and how AI and technology has responded to that. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll talk to you in a bit. So joining me today is Rick Kanasen. He's the director of AI and analytics solution development for Intel's cloud and enterprise solutions group. His team is responsible for identifying and developing the next generation of AI and analytic technology solutions to address customer needs. Previous to that, he ran worldwide healthcare innovation centers. In addition, Kanasen served as a worldwide director for Intel's health IT sales and marketing group where he was responsible for Intel's health IT strategy and product enabling. Kanasen is a widely recognized and global thought leader in healthcare innovation with specific expertise in AI analytics and technology and services. Man, you got a, you got a great bio there. So what was your favorite job in the last 20 years? Favorite job? Um, well, I was the, we put together a personal health alliance across the world, a global one with over 200 companies to define standards that would allow a vital signs um, measurements to be communicated into a hospital electronic record system. So you can imagine a weight scale, blood pressure cuff, a pulse oximeter. And so I had the opportunity to be president of that nonprofit group and Intel let me go run that for two years. And this, that was a fantastic opportunity to get to know the industry, get to know what customers want and try to drive that transformation to you know, remote patient monitoring and personal health. That's very cool that Intel allowed you to go off and, and take, I would say, a sabbatical, but it's not really a sabbatical because it's a full-time job, isn't Probably beyond a full-time job. So what was the second best job you've had in the last 20 years? Second best job? Well, it's probably providing solutions on a, on a global basis, um, healthcare solutions from an Intel perspective. So we had, I had a team in China, a team in, in U.S., a team West Coast, U.S. East Coast, and Europe. Um, just because each of the geographic regions have their own specific requirements. And so we had business developers there, architects, and then also ethnographers to really sift out what's needed in those regions from a healthcare solution and then um, put them together and make sure there's, you know, um, good business uh, development behind that. So that was, that was a, a lot of fun doing that job as well. So my journey with artificially intelligent systems and neural networks actually started in 1985 when I got out of college, believe it or not, kind of dating myself, but I was yeah. an AI, AI analyst, you know, working for Boeing Computer Services and, uh, you know, building systems for a few years and we using Lisp and uh, M1 and those sorts of things and even taught it at the college level. And then it kind of went away. So in other words, we were all about it in the 80s and, and it just kind of went away in the early 90s, didn't really discuss it. It was always in the back of the back burner. We had some systems that were based on it. And suddenly, as cloud became more popular, it came raging back. And so why are we, why is it so popular now based on the fact this technology is pretty old? Yeah, well, interestingly enough, I worked at Boeing as well for about 12 years. But uh, McDonnell Douglas and then Boeing acquired. But I 
definitely remember those times when uh, AI was hot. Even when I was getting my master's degree at USC, it was one of the hottest uh, degrees, but that all fizzled out. Yeah, so you're right, now it is coming back. I think there's a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that the compute is powerful enough today to be able to take in a huge amount of data and process it in, in the times required to do some analysis. Another aspect is, is it's all about data, right? You can't do AI analytics unless you have the right data. And we have a, an immense amount of data today coming from IoT edge devices like video cameras and sensors, coming from huge databases, both structured and unstructured. And so putting the compute and the data together um, and certainly an evolution in the tools that um, are able to process through and, and create value for the end users um, is, you know, it's kind of a perfect storm. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. I mean, data was really kind of the driver of AI-based systems, and the reality is we couldn't store that much data, at least store that much data for a cheap amount of money. I remember sizing some of these systems, you know, back in the late 80s, and, you know, they would be, um, you know, 500 million bucks to get to the capabilities, you know, that we, you know, have today for, you know, $50 a month. And so I guess the economic impact as well as the ability to improve the technology as well as access to data to train these systems is really what changed. And I, I think it's a, a step in the right direction. So we're coming out of a pandemic now. And, and uh, so we're thinking about how to do things differently and do things smartly and specifically in the world of healthcare. So post COVID, you know, what is different from artificially intelligence from a tech, tech perspective and, you know, and kind of give us an, a real example, you know, what's the day in the life of a doctor post COVID? What kind of technology is he going to use? How is he going to leverage technology as a force multiplier? How can I be healed so I don't die? I really want those details. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks, David. That, that's great. And, you know, we are coming through a post-COVID era, but I, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. You know, there's, it's, it's a new world, and we're going to be, have to be aware of pandemics, whether it's COVID-19 or the next thing, right? So it, it's really important. And we're seeing some significant pivots and changes in our product lineup to address customer needs in this post-COVID world, right? So I thought it would be fun to just kind of go through a day in the life of a doctor. We can call, we can call her Sandy, doctor, and look at some AI-infused technology. So we could consider when she gets up at home, and then when she travels to work, and then when she's at work, and then when she's home. So let's, um, now I'm going to give a few examples here of, of technologies. I think they're very interesting, compelling. These are all um, products today that Intel is partnering with companies to provide. So it's not just, you know, visionary make-believe. These are products to today. So at, at home, um, Sandy gets up and she usually would go to the gym, but unfortunately no gym. Gym is shut down. So she goes and looks at how can she do virtual fitness and virtual fitness augmented by analytics to help her get fit better faster. So um, there's some Peloton bikes you might have heard of. What I use is a product called Zwift, and it allows you to take a stationary bike and connect it to the internet, and you connect to um, sometimes about 4,000 people around the world, and you ride different courses. They're real courses in London or in Austria or New York, and um, you can race people, you can talk to people, um, it monitors your fitness change over time, uses AI. For example, it can take your, um, let's say your particular course you do over and over, it can measure your heart rate zones and where you spend most time in, in zone two, three, or four, and you know how fast you've done it. 
also can look at your FTP, which in bicycle terms, that's called functional threshold of power. It's a measure of how much energy you have to put out to get uh, a certain job done or climb a certain hill. So that's, that's uh, fitness. I think next thing is, you know, Sandy has some heart issues. So she has an Apple watch on or any kind of health wearable. Um, Apple has a nice one that monitors heartbeat, looking for irregularities, seeing if there's something that needs to be looked at or not. Um, and then before she goes to work, Sandy would um, <clears throat> log in and she needs to do a little bit of shopping. So she starts interacting with some chat bots and they're smart chat bots and they know her, right? And even if you've gone to Amazon, sometimes it says, hey, David, how about this book? Because I know you were interested in this topic and, the, and you bought these other books and it really you know, saves you some time. She also orders dinner. Uh, the dinner order goes to a grocery warehouse. Um, um, well, the gift, she, she orders a gift. The gift, the, there's a grocery warehouse that packages it up and sends it out. And then finally, there's a, a food delivery robot, if you can believe that, David, that takes and um, packages up the dinner and delivers it to her door at the time she specifies. So that's all before she even goes to work. Wow. I so know. you think we're going to live in a world where we're not interacting as much anymore? <laughs> I mean, it sounds exciting, but you know, on the other hand, it's like, uh, okay, you know, don't we, don't we, uh, you know, what about, uh, you know, uh, mitigating human contact and the ability to kind of, you know, get into the swing of a life uh, going forward, your ability to interact with your family and interact with other people. I'm not saying directly, not physically, but your ability to kind of keep up. Yeah, that's a real concern. And you, you know, it's a, it's a paradigm shift. You're used to at least bumping into people in the halls and, or at the cafeteria and talking to them. Um, so there are great, great tools like Microsoft Teams or Zoom or um, Cisco. There's a lot of different tools out there that allow you to have video interactions. And I think you need to be intentional about using the video and about uh, talking to people. Um, and so, I do think that's an issue that we need to look at. There's some tools in place, but it's going to require some intentionality to um, try to augment that. Yeah, I think it is as well. So what would be, say, post-COVID and say in five years, the primary benefit of leveraging artificial intelligence systems as a force multiplier? Would it be diagnostics? You just talked about the Apple Watch. And so we're able to keep an eye on the doctor to make sure that uh, she is in good health and by running analytics against past patterns to see if she's living up to a pattern that may lead to a stroke or a heart attack or some other heart issue, you know, things like that. Or is it the ability to leverage AI technology just to provide coaching? In other words, eat a certain way and do exercise a certain way. So we're living healthier lifestyle styles or am I missing something? No. And I think it's all those and more. I mean, and if you're talking about a five-year horizon, that's just, um, there's so much opportunity, particularly with 5G coming out in this smart connected city um, and the advancements we will have in um, transmission of data and, and processing power, you know, on the, on the person, on your cell phone or on your watch, that the, you know, sky's the limit. Yeah, I think it is a limit. I think I'm looking forward to the future, not necessarily for more pandemics, but there is a silver lining to all this. I think we're able to adjust uh, and be flexible. And one of the things I'm just kind of amazed at in the world in general is that we're leveraging technology to innovate ourselves around limitations that are being put into our environment around crises like this. And I think that um, 
we've reacted in you know three to four months period of time where telemedicine has been taken to the next level with we're able to do remote diagnostics uh you know i've been setting up you know remote clinics where they're able to do um you know robotic surgery i mean all this stuff was not was on the basically on the launch pad and, and now it's in production and so yeah yeah dave and dave you're, you're stealing my thunder sandy is still at work but we need to, still at home we need to get her to work and there's a lot of things that are already put in place in the last few quarters to respond to this should we should we bring her to the subway station bring her to the subway station okay <laughs> so now she's at the subway station of course she has contact less fair no need to get your credit card out inter interchange with anybody just swipe your phone and then contract tracings in place in case there's someone that's um, that was nearby her that was diagnosed later with, with COVID, maybe using bluetooth on the phone system like that so she then she arrives at the hospital um, she walks in the front door and they check if she has a fever. So they have an infrared fever detection. If she has a fever, big light goes off, she gets sent home, right? They also look and see if she has, uh, is complying with her PPE requirements, not only her, but the other people that are in the hospital. Do they have their mask on? Is it fitting well? Are they uh, six feet apart, right? Um, as she starts her day, one of the big innovations around AI that I'm mostly excited about and that I've worked quite a bit in last year is around using AI for medical imaging analysis. So for example, I've worked with doctors who are applying AI to analyze sonograms, CT, MRI, and it does a phenomenal job of honing in on the particular area of interest and comparing that to you know, thousands of labeled images using a deep learning to, to uh, do inference on that. And we found that the, um, the the amount of time is required is less and the quality is even better than if it was just a, 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 a doctor doing it on, on her, on their own time. So that's one. Um, then consolidated visualization and analysis of patient data, having a single place where it can all be pulled in and looked at together uh, to, to provide some insights, that's great. And they even have these material handling robots that can deliver meds. Isn't, I mean, that seems pretty weird, but it would be using um, image recognition for the robot to navigate the hospital, bring the meds to a particular, uh, particular patient, you know, use some security to open it and provide it to them without having a nurse go to all the rooms. And then like you said, telemedicine interactions. And then finally, uh, disinfecting, disinfecting robots. Like, I don't know if you have a Roomba. We recently bought a Roomba. It gets stuck periodically under the couch. But aside from that, it does a phenomenal job of remembering where it's gone and where it has to go and um, just using technology to go and disinfect. That's just at the hospital. So she leaves the hospital. What happens then? Oh, finally, she goes home for the evening. She's, she's uh, just exhausted. So Sandy um, does some entertainment streaming, you know, virtual gaming, watching Netflix. Of course, she has to talk to her mom, so she brings up Zoom, does some video socializing, like you were talking about earlier, you know, important to, to use those tools to do video socializing. She forgot to do some paperwork, so she goes into her office, does some remote working, logs on, um, finishes up some charting she needs to do, does some quick continuing education to keep her certification. Finally, exhausted, she goes to bed, but she 
has a good sleep monitoring analysis tool, which looks at her sleep quality. It looks to see if she's starting to have more sleep apnea. It gives trends over time. It helps her analyze her sleep and relate it to activities of her life. If she's had a particular stressful event or if she's had less or more alcohol or food when she ate dinner, what the environment she's in, it allows her to really hone in on the environmental impacts um, that impact her sleep, which is really uh, important for a quality of life. That's it. Oh. Sandy yeah, is but- done for the day. Yeah. yeah, and and what's cool is most of the stuff you've mentioned, unless I'm getting it wrong, exists. So in other words, we're not talking about something in five years. We're talking about something that we're able to, you know, put together in a very short period of time. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah hospitals it can be some of the the you know they can be a little bit laggards because of the regulatory environment, but but in some of the more progressive hospitals and in some of the countries that don't have as many regulations, some of these are already in place. And uh, I think, you know, quickly, actually, like with the COVID response, hospitals were allowed to relax their HIPAA requirements, which allowed them to use tools like Zoom, which may not, you know, have everything needed. And and, uh, technology companies are trying to quickly catch up and put those, all all those requirements in place. But, um, you know, they've shown that that they're reacting more quickly these days. Yeah, and more importantly, the insurance companies have uh, suddenly, um, you know, allowed permission to, you know, reimburse for telemedicine stuff, which they didn't in the past, which was, uh, which was a big point that caused it not to move forward. So now we're moving the barriers to doing it. So can you provide me with some, you know, customer partner examples around leveraging artificially intelligent edge cloud innovation, those sorts of things that uh, you've been working on? Yeah, a few a few double clicks on some of the technologies I mentioned. First one is a company called iOmniscient. It does fever check cameras. Um, it detects and isolates people with fevers. You can use this, for example, in a hospital, uh, school, or work. It prevents infection, of course, provides alerts. It has a dual camera, which looks not only at color, but thermal. And it uses AI to determine fever, right? Not everybody has the same fever and it can fluctuate. It doesn't mean a person's sick. So using some AI to mitigate those false alarms. For example, hypothyroidism you know, causes some temperature change and there's other legitimate reasons people might, might have a, um, a different temperature without having a fever. So that's one. Um, second one, it's called a medical informatics core sick bay. This is a remote patient monitoring like you brought up, which has analytics integrated. It allows nurses to do virtual rounding. So it collects data from a whole variety of sources, from ventilator pumps. It takes a look at the labs that are online, the medications that are being used. It interacts with the electronic medical record. Um, it, It looks at the blood pressure and the pulse ox. It really allows nurses to minimize their interaction contagion risk, right? That's a benefit. It also allows for more frequent checking. If you have a tool doing it, rather than a nurse rounding to do it, you can, you can do it more, more frequently for better quality care. It actually allows you to improve your ventilator utilization. One of the big concerns of the hospitals is a you know, lack of ventilators. And it, it helps ICU to expand out rapidly if you need to do it. If you need to build some urgent ICU uh, beds, this allows you to, to go do that in some areas that may not be um, designed for that. So it uses AI analytics to look at conditions that are likely to cause readmission, for example, or maybe um, cause someone to crash. So it gives a heads up on that. And it interacts with the cloud. So the cloud 
It would contain electronic health record. It would have population data to use in the AI training, and it would provide model updates as they improve the model over time. Those are two examples. You want me to go through a few more? Go through a few more. All right. Yeah. One, this next one's called Savioke Relay. It's actually the robot I was talking about for delivery of medication throughout the hospital. That should really improve staff efficiency, um, should reduce the chance of infection, minimize the need for PPE, right? That's a new term that no one knew about three months ago and now everybody knows, but in short supply. And it uses AI to uh, visualization to navigate through and get to different places it needs to get to. The last one is a product called uh, InTouch Health, which is uh, remote access to virtual care. Uh, telemedicine, you mentioned, does triage. Um, you can imagine if hospitals are full and there's um, care centers or, or clinics that want to see if someone should be transported to the emergency room. It's got a portal with a microphone and a video camera. And it should reduce the number of people in the hospitals and should provide some time savings as well. So those are real life examples of products that fit into that narrative day in life that are out there today. Yeah, it's amazing uh, how far we come. And I, I think what we're doing now is just kind of enabling technology that's been around and really hasn't been noticed or hasn't been, we haven't had the regulatory uh, reg regulations in place to enable it or the insurance, the payers weren't paying for it. And now that seems to be changing. So it's, it's full speed ahead. So that part, at least that part of the economy, I think is going to be taking off like a rocket in the next few years. So what's Intel's role? Yeah, the great question, right? Intel is a, a manufacturing company, right? Well, I mean, we're so much more than that. We have um, a significant amount of software development and putting solutions together. In the AI front, um, I guess we'll start with hardware because Intel's started out as a hardware company. You know, we have our, our base Xeon platform, which we've built into it specific accelerators uh, for AI, right? One's called Deep Learning Boost, gives you a three times boost in the, the speed to process uh, deep neural networks, which is something used in a AI deep learning. Um, we have dedicated accelerators in development, one called Habana, Habana, which is an ASIC just to do AI fast. And of course, GPUs, which are um, broadly, um, broadly used to accelerate AI. That's a hardware perspective. On top of the processor, um, a little more hardware, uh, a new technology called Optane, which is very fast, solid state drive storage, um, much more so than the previous generation of SSD. And then also um, persistent memory, which is a layer between flash and DRAM memory and allows you to have more memory and for it to be persistent. So that's very transformational in the market. And if you have large data sets for AI or need fast in-memory uh, processing, that's a fantastic tool. And then, of course, to move the data, you know, 100 gigabit Ethernets and silicon, silicon photonics. That's on the hardware side. On the software side, um, you know, some of the, the, the tools out there, PyTorch, TensorFlow, these are very common, common ones. Um, we provide optimizations on those to make sure that they're, they uh, run fast on our architecture. So instead of just taking the, the standard one that's out on the web, um, if you pick up an optimized ones, there'll be some significant improvements. OpenVINO is a tool that we have that really provides a canonical representation that executes quickly on Intel architecture. Um, Analytic Zoo is a higher level tool that does distributed AI uh, using Spark. Um, 
And then on, on uh, the ecosystem, um, so we do hardware, we do software, we also work very closely with the ecosystem and we have uh, programs like our Intel AI builders, over 300 solutions that are um, optimized and ready to go for AI that we've worked with. Uh, we have optimized configurations for solutions based on our select system. And so that kind of covers it. Yeah, I guess it does. That's like you guys <laughs> got a lot going on more than I thought. So, you know, what are the specific AI solutions out there that you guys are working on what, and beyond the, beyond the tech? In other words, what's occurring out there that's a trend right now? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned cloud earlier, right? And that's certainly a very disruptive trend that has a lot of opportunity as well. We're finding that um, customers are, are you know, struggling with, with what that means and, and what to move over and what not to move over. Um, I mentioned before that I've worked with AI imaging, you know, with most of the big companies in the world on AI imaging, I've uh, worked with them to see what they need. And I usually ask them, you know, where, where do you envision the AI models to be rolled out to do medical imaging diagnosis? Is it at the edge, like with the modality, with the MRI, you know, where they sit and analyze it quickly? Is it in the hospital data center, maybe looked at as part of a, a VNA or a PAC system later? Or is it in the cloud, right? And inevitably they said yes, yes, and yes. <clears throat> I think it's, it's a big TBD where this rolls out and it's probably gonna roll out in a lot of different places, just depending on the latency requirements, security requirements, and that sort of thing. One of the solutions um, I've been working on recently is around AI inferencing. Training's a big deal, but inferencing is a much bigger market over time. Once you train these algorithms and models, they're going to be deployed. So if, if you're a target retailer, for example, you're gonna train a model to do customer sentiment analysis, then you're gonna roll it out to your thousands of stores, right, and, and deploy it. So, <clears throat> you know, relative to training, uh, customers are looking for great performance, they need to process a lot of images per second, looking for good, good um, time to market, good cost of ownership. So, you know, we put a good system together uh, on that that has some of the optimized capabilities I talked about earlier, OpenVINO, Deep Learning Boost, and um, even put some enterprise lifecycle management capabilities there with Kubeflow. Because you can imagine with the target example we just talked about, let's say you have a model deployed in, in 2000 stores, but you want to try a new model, a beta model, but you want to keep the existing ones going. So how do you, how do you do that, right? Start serving up a new model and make sure it works before you deploy it broadly. How do you do container management, right? Most of these models are deployed now in containers and Kubernetes is a great way to do container management and how to use those to, um, effectively provide a solution even if you need to scale up scale up to have multiple instances of a model because you have a lot more burst traffic for some reason how do you scale that across multiple nodes efficiently right and do load balancing so those are a few of the types of capabilities that we've integrated into this tool to make sure that we can you know um, provide customers with uh, a, a complete end-to-end -end solution that they can plug in and put it in production so we're about out of time, so we're going to cut it off there. But where can we find more about this stuff on the web? And, and by the way, what, what, what publications do you typically read? What websites do you typically go to? Yeah, so I think uh, intel.com slash AI would be a good place to start. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, personally for me, uh, I've really honed into the LinkedIn 
um, LinkedIn topics that are of interest, medical imaging, AI, technology transformations. And so um, usually spend some time every day uh, harvesting that for the right um, articles that are interesting and trying to keep abreast. Yeah, it's always good to keep up. I mean, it's, it's tough to keep up now. Uh, <laughs> it's a treadmill, well. David. It's a <laughs> treadmill. <laughs> it's a treadmill, but I love it. I love change. So anyway, I want to thank our special guest, Rick Kenoshin. He's the Director of AI and Analytics Solution Development for Intel's Cloud and Enterprise Solutions Group. also want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another GigaOM podcast. And we'll be back real soon. You guys take good care. Be safe. I hope you enjoyed this interview. It was fascinating uh, to me. For future forward advice on IT and technology, you can go to gigaohm.com, check out our blog. You can subscribe to our research or buy single reports, whatever your need is, though I do very much recommend subscribing as you get access to the entire body of GigaOM research at that point. For GigaOM, I'm Johnny Baldisberger, and this has been Voices in Innovation. Thank you.